Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Good morning. It's great to see you. And man, what a great morning. And we'll get those house lights up in just a minute. Uh, or maybe we won't. I don't know. But anyway, if you have a Bible, do me a favor, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, we are... Uh, bringing this series greater than down the home stretch. And uh, actually this morning we'll look at one verse, give you a little preview. Okay, we're going to be talking about marriage this morning. So uh, as a little bit of a preview, uh, there will be probably a part of this sermon that we're going to talk frankly about sex. So if your kid is in here, I will let you determine on that, okay? It's a, maybe a little PG-13-ish, okay, without the language. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of where we're going this morning. So I'll leave that between you and your family. I'm giving you a minute or two to figure out if you want to put your, check your kid into our kids' ministry or not, okay? So that's where we are. Uh, I want to do a couple administrative pieces while you guys are deciding that. You can, there's a handout on your bulletin. You can follow along with me there. Uh, a couple administrative pieces. Um, our two teams that were off-site this week, Bolivia and uh, the students at SWO, I know many of you were we're praying for them. They all got home safely to my knowledge, so praise the Lord for that. And I think they had a great week, uh, in both on the missions trip and on the summer camp. And so looking forward to hearing more about the stories and what the Lord has done there. Administratively, I told you guys we're, we're learning some things this summer about our new building that we'll need to adjust. One of the things we've learned is that um, over the summer, our attendance year over year has grown by uh, over 20%, okay? So, uh, and so here's what that means, all right? We're getting ready to head into, and summer is usually, attendance is down a little bit uh, because of vacations, travel, things like that. So fall, uh, we're going to be full, okay? And so here's what that means for you. Uh, we've allowed everybody to kind of pick their seat over the summer, okay? The ushers are going to start ushering you, all right? And I know that that creates some consternation sometimes, like, hey, I want to sit where I want to sit. Uh, but we're going to have to make use of every single seat. Uh, if you're a longtime member here and uh, you can sit in the front row, we're going to encourage you to do that, okay? Because we're going to need even the front row seats. And so that's where it's going, right? And so that's exciting and it creates change. The second thing we've learned about our building, okay, is in between services, if we prop open those doors and the front doors on the way out, it becomes like a polar vortex and all the air conditioning in this room gets sucked out 
and the next service is hot, okay? And so, uh, and so sometimes we're, we're well-meaning and we want to prop the doors open for people. We need to do our best to keep the doors closed so that second service is warm. How many of you thought that was how the sermon was going to start this morning? All right, so uh, we, you know, we wanted to be comfortable for our 11 o'clock service, so just keep that in mind. And uh, so, so there's some changes coming. You know, as we were singing um, that song, that last song, Every Hour I Need You, Lord, uh, my cynical mind went to, is that any more true than in marriage? I need you every hour, Lord. And... Uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And Pastor Andrew preached a great sermon last week. I want to encourage you to hear. But we've made the transition where the author talks about how this kingdom of God is unshakable. And now because we're a part of this unshakable kingdom, we get to the kind of the so what uh, that the author penned this whole letter. What does that mean? And so last week we learned, you know, because we're a part of this unshakable kingdom, we need to be reminded that we, we are re- re- image reflectors of Christ because he's the main point. And as believers, now we're reflecting Christ. And two of the ways that we reflect Christ, as we learned about last week, was loving one another and showing hospitality, okay? And so this week, we want to talk about the next step, okay? So we're image bearers, we're reflectors of Jesus Christ, who is the main point of Hebrews, and he's establishing this kingdom that will not be shaken. And so the next step of reflecting this image of Christ is in our marriages, and the author's very, very serious about marriage. And I think, you know, sometimes we, we think maybe marriage is somehow a, a tack on to our lives. And, and by the way, in this culture, marriage is under attack, okay? The traditional biblical view of marriage is under attack. And I want to encourage you that the author of Hebrews is saying it's an essential part of what God is doing in this unshakable kingdom that he's establishing. Does that make sense? And so, you know, and so uh, we need to have a high view and a biblical view of marriage. And we're going to unpack that this morning. I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says this, let marriage be held in what? What's the word there, church? Honor. Hold marriage in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now, um, I love the word honor there, okay? And that's going to be our first point this morning. We're going to park on this idea of honor, honoring our marriages. And I think about some of the things I honor, right? I'm going to show you one. I I honor some crazy stuff, actually. I mean, the grand scheme of things, it's really crazy. But one of the things that I honor uh, is this. And I know you're probably not going to be able to see this all the way in the back, so I'll describe it to you. But for those of you who can't see this, I honor this, believe it or not, all right? Uh, Like, what is it, all right? It's my Russell Wilson Seattle Seahawks jersey. This in my house gets honored in a strange way, okay? It gets hung up neatly, all right? It gets pulled out on game day. It gets worn. I'm not going to tell you by who. And so I'll let you figure that out. It gets worn. And I'm very careful in honoring this. Like, I make sure that food, I almost wear a bib when I'm eating around it because the truth is, all right, I'm going to admit, I'm going to confess it. Like, I have a man crush on Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks. It's just true, Okay. Yeah, when he does, you know, he gives hope to all people that are five foot eight but want to be professional athletes. That's what he does, okay? Like, wow, he can do that, you know? And, and so I honor the jersey because of his ability, and I honor this, right? 
some of you that aren't football fans go, that's crazy. I agree, okay? It's a disconnect in my heart and life, all right? No, no, let me just, hold on, let me place this carefully. So um, I honor some other things. I, you know, I have some baseballs with people's names on them that I case, and I, I put them on a shelf, and I look at them, right? I honor them. And if we're not careful in life, I mean, the truth is, we can honor some things that really, it's probably grabbing too much of our attention. And the author reminds us this morning that if you're a follower of Christ, you, you need to honor your marriage. And that means to give it esteem and to give it attention. And the truth is, in this room, there's some of you that are You're honoring your car or your yard or your boat or girls' night out or boys' night out more than you're honoring this precious gift that God has called marriage. And I want to challenge us this morning to begin as, again, I'm, I'm assuming that the bulk of who I'm talking to this morning are those that say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a part of this unshakable kingdom. If you're a part of the unshakable kingdom, you need to honor your marriage. And we need to raise the view of this thing that God calls marriage. Why do we need to do that? Well, First of all, we need to adopt the view of marriage that God has of marriage. Do you know that, that God calls marriage a good thing? It's your second blank. God says marriage is good. We kind of, we live in this culture where people are unsure of that. I think even as parents sometimes, you know, parents, I want to challenge you. And I, listen, I, I'm speaking cautiously because I have an 18-year-old, but you know, as our kids kind of hit those late teen, early 20 years, I mean, we're really quick to honor the degree or the good job. And, and, and I would encourage us to start to rethink that a little bit and say, if God brings your kid a Christian spouse, that's a good thing. We need to honor that and we need to lift that up because God calls marriage good. Did you know in the created creation account in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord, as he's creating, there's only one time that he says, man, not good. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that, that God had created each day. He created. He said, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. There's only one time in all the created account that he says, not good. And it was when Adam didn't have a suitable helper or a spouse. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. Our God has declared that finding, and for Adam in this case, finding a wife is a good thing. Man, if you got a, if you got a, a Christian wife, the Bible says that you have a very good and honorable gift to you. Proverbs 18.22, the, uh, the author writes, he who finds a wife finds, what's it say, church? A good thing and obtains what? What do you find? Favor from the Lord. How cool is that? How many of you sit around and go, yeah, you know what? I've, I've got a great wife and that really is the favor of the Lord. You know, after a long day at work and she's kind of getting on you, right? Like, whoa, you know, yeah, favor. You know, thank you, Lord. How much different would your marriage be if you thought of it that way? Be different, wouldn't it? We have to adopt the view that God has a marriage. He calls it a good thing. 
That's honoring marriage. The second thing we got to do, if we're going to honor our marriage, we've got to honor our spouse. This is a man and a woman thing. We have to honor our spouse. One of the ways that we honor our spouse is to honor our differences. One of the ways we honor our spouse is to honor our differences. Genesis chapter 2, 18, when Adam, God made Adam a suitable helper, he says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. There's been some great movie scenes where this has been unpacked, right? You're Jerry Maguire, you complete me, right? That, that really does capture it. Last week, Pastor Andrew quoted Rocky. I don't know if you remember Rocky 1. Paulie asked Rocky, Why do you, what do you like about my sister? Well, I don't know, he says. She's got gaps. I got gaps. Together we fill gaps. That's, be- that's romantic. Try that today when you go home. <laughs> Honey, you got gaps. I got gaps. You know, that's Rocky's take. But I would say that's a suitable helper. You know, I remember when I was first dating my wife, you know, it was, I mean, and, and this was, all, you know, one of the things that I loved, you know, she would laugh easily at my jokes, and man, I was funny. What she didn't realize is I only had five jokes, I just needed a new audience, right? Now I'm annoying, like, oh, not that one again, right? And so it's easy to kind of bog down, like, you're different from me, and I don't like your differences, and I'm here. I want to propose to you this morning that maybe God has brought you your spouse because you need their differences. Do you imagine that? Like, maybe, like, man, he or she is just getting on my nerves, and man, I just, and maybe God is trying to teach you patience. Because you're an impatient person, and without your spouse, you're not going to learn patience. Maybe, maybe God is preparing you for eternity and not just for the here and now. Maybe your spouse is brought alongside of you, not for your happiness, although I hope your marriage has moments of happiness, okay? But maybe your spouse is brought alongside of you for your holiness to make you more like Christ and, and, and to reflect this unshakable image of which you're now a part. And so we honor our, our spouse's differences, which I suspect for most of us when you're dating, that's the thing you loved about that person. Man, we're just, you know, we have a lot in common, but we're really different, and all of a sudden that becomes annoying, and I'm here to challenge you that your differences is what God has brought to you as a gift to you. We honor, we honor our spouse, as diff, we honor our spouse by, by how we honor our spouse around others. How you speak about your spouse around others. Like when your spouse isn't around, and you know, I've, I've never been a part of girls' night out, so I don't really know how that goes. But you know, if I, uh, guys' night out, guys, I know how this goes, right? You get in with a group of guys at work, ball game, wherever, hobby, golf course, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the old ball and chain, her, her, you know, and that happens. That's not honoring. One of the things I found super funny, I do it as a joke, but I do it because I mean it too, and it also teaches me something, teaches me how to think, okay? So you're in the group, and all of a sudden it's the spouse put down hour, you know, guys, wife put down hour, and I go, man, I'm sorry, guys, I I feel bad for you all because I have an amazing wife. She's beautiful, and she's great to me, 
And I say that, and it gets really weird. Like, everyone's like, oh, you know, let's tee it off. You know, they don't know what to say after that, you know? And if you're a Christian man in this room, I want to encourage, like, be the guy that when she's not around, you're honoring her around other people. Just teach yourself and say, man, I'm married up, you know? I'm married out of my league. I think if we need to be, think like that and we change this culture. And ladies, you know, I, my wife has some friends, that, and I'm not going to name any names, but, like, every time she's around particular people, like, it's just kill the husband hour. Well, he doesn't do, you know, when she tells me that, like, man, she said all this stuff. And I said, what'd you say about your husband? And it gets real quiet, you know, like, but it's not honor. Like we have an opportunity as a church, if we're going to be serious about honoring, listen, I honor the Russell Wilson jersey no matter where I go, right? I look for opportunities to wear it, okay? And so why, and I don't even know the man, right? So, you know, we, if you're married, like the opportunity to honor your spouse around others is a huge testament and testimony that you, you're a part of this unshakable kingdom and you're, you're honoring your marriage. The third thing about honoring your marriage, I mean, if we're going to park on the word honor, is to to honor the biblical design of marriage. We have to honor the biblical design of marriage. I, this is one I'm probably going to throw out some cultural bombs, and I don't have enough time to address them maybe as thoroughly as I would like, okay? So pardon me for that, and I hope you'll extend me some teaching grace. But to honor the biblical design of marriage, and again, we're, we're starting with the premise that God calls marriage a good thing. And so in that, he has ordered marriage for us. So a couple things about God's design for marriage. Marriage is, one, is for one man and one woman. It's the biblical design of marriage. Our creator created marriage. Hebrews 1, by the way. Remember, let's go all the way back to the beginning of Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 starts with God is creator. All this stuff that we're, he unpacks over the next 13 chapters is start, started with the premise that God is creator. And the main theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is the main point, essentially, that we worship Christ, why we need him as our high priest, and on and on, all the things we've unpacked over the last several weeks. And now he ends with marriage, or he's ending with these practical steps about this unshakable kingdom that we're part of, and how we reflect the image of Christ, and we honor marriage, and so... God, the creator has defined for us what marriage, there's a biblical design. And so it's, it's one man for one woman. If we were to look at Matthew chapter 19, this is Jesus talking about marriage. Jesus was actually the context of what I'm about to read to you in Matthew 19. The context is, is Jesus was asked about divorce. Okay, we can go to the next slide. Jesus was asked about divorce. And he said this, he said, haven't you read the scriptures? Let's park there for a minute. Everybody stop and look at me, all right? Don't look at the verse, look at me. Jesus said, haven't you read the what? What's he saying? Scriptures. And now he's about to quote Genesis. So, so here's a little bit of an apologetic, if you will, this morning. What did Jesus believe about Genesis? All right, let's do it together, right? Ready? What did Jesus believe about Genesis? It was the scriptures. It's the word of God. In fact, we, 
We live in this world where in church life, I'm not even talking about the, the them out there, the culture. I'm talking about where churches are redefining marriage. And of course, we have this, this, this great gender debate and homosexual debate. And there's the, the debate even in the churches that Jesus never addresses homosexual marriage. I'm like, what do you, of course he does. He does it right here where he quotes Genesis and he says, this is scripture. And in the scriptures, he says, Jesus said, he replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them what church? Male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and he's joined to his wife and the Two are united into one, and since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, uh, Noah, I'm going to throw you a curveball on, on the slides this morning, all right? I want to come back to this a little bit. I know, you love that. You, you'll work with me, all right? I want to come back to verse 6, so you got to click back and forth however you do that. So, um, The scripture is clear that marriage is, a, is designed by our creator to be one man and one woman. Now, we can debate it culturally, but you can't debate it biblically. All right? God's design, if we're going to honor marriage, we're going to honor it the way God, we've got to honor the way God has designed marriage. Okay? The second way, if we're going to talk about how God designed marriage, is that there's a mutual submission to one another in marriage, a mutual honoring, if you will. Again, this is where I, I wish I, in hindsight, maybe should have just preached out of Ephesians 5. I'll let you guys do your own study and reading on that. But Ephesians 5.21 is probably one of the clearest and, and, uh, teachings of the Apostle Paul on marriage. And he starts in verse 21 with mutual submission, where he says... Further, submit to one another out of reverence for who? Church? Christ. So, and so because I've already kind of unpacked this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but the beginning point of a biblical design of marriage is the mutually honoring of one another. In fact, if we went back to last week, and Pastor Andrew touched on this, he didn't spend a lot of time on this, but as God was creating, and he was, you know, he was using this kind of this ancient Near Eastern mindset of how you might build a temple, and that really create the Genesis 1 and 2 is kind of written in that context. And so God, when it came time to reveal the image of the creator, the Bible's very clear, it was in male and female he created. Your differences are both needed to reveal who God is. Does that make sense? And so in our marriage, if we're going to have a biblically functioning marriage, we need to mutually honor one another. Mutually submit. I'm here for you. You're here for me. It's this mutual thing that we're working together to bring glory to God in our marriage. However, inside of that mutual honoring, mutual, uh, mutual submission to one another, there is a biblical, what I call functional order. Okay. It's a functional order. It's not one's better than the other. But there's a functional order to marriage. If we're going to honor marriage as God's designed it, we have to understand the functional order. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let me park there for a minute. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to what? What's it say? As to what? Uh, now we're mumbling. Oh, the verse ain't up there. All right. Sorry, I was like, we don't even want to say that. Okay, so it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 22, for wives is me, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
Let me tell you something. I, I've been married over 20 years. And uh, one of the things I love about my wife, she takes this verse seriously. But the thing that I know about her is she doesn't take it seriously because Sean's the greatest husband on planet Earth. Okay? I want to be. I want to grow to be more like Christ. I want to love her more and protect her more and love her better. But she submits to my leadership because she loves Christ above all. Singles. It is essential that when you're dating, you find someone that is fired up for Jesus Christ above all else. Because you can't live out these principles unless your first focus is to honor Christ. And so for wives, it's submit to their husbands as worship. I say, I put the word worship there, worshiping the Lord. And for a husband, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of his church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Honoring your marriage is understanding the functional order inside of your home. For women, it means a humble submission to your husband, not because they deserve it necessarily, but because you want to worship the Lord. Now, I know I'm about to get the, and I'm not going to deal with them this morning, okay? I know I'm about to get the 18 what-ifs, okay? So uh, let's be clear that I'm, I'm dealing with... I'm not dealing with abusive situations and those kind of situations. Does that make sense? But uh, that's a whole other sermon for another day. I don't have time to cover all the what-ifs, okay? For most, I suspect for many of us in this room, it's not about the what-ifs, okay? This is about I need you every hour I need you, okay? How do I honor the Lord every hour of my day? For men, this means you have the awesome responsibility to love your wife as Christ loved the church, sacrifice for her. I don't have time to go through this passage, Ephesians 5. It goes on to talk about how, man, you need to wash your wife in the word of God. Can I challenge you, man? Many of you in this room, your wife is the spiritual head of your home. Your wife knows more about the scriptures than you do. Your wife is the first one saying, hey, let's get up and go to church with the children. Your wife is the one saying, let's get a part of a small group. And I want to challenge you men, if you're going to love your wife the way Christ loves you, you've got to be the one to make the personal sacrifice. You need to get in your word. You need to learn the word of God. It needs to be some spiritual discipline so that you can grow to be the man that God has called you to be in spiritual leadership. How are you going to do that? Because Why would you do that? Because got to honor the design, God's design for marriage. Number four. I don't have a number four here, okay? So, Noah, here's the curveball, all right? There's no number four here. I should have put it in your notes. Write it down. Number four. How do we honor God's design for marriage? It, we understand that marriage is permanent while we're here on earth. Marriage is permanent. Jesus said that, right? When God's brought someone together, two people together, it's not up to man to, to tear it apart. I want to I give you a little counseling coaching, okay? The next time you're having a discussion in your marriage, all right, you're, you're fussing with each other a little bit, all right? Never, remember, remember the old baby, the old bumper sticker said, never, 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 never shake a baby. Remember that? And I always look at that bumper sticker like, really? Like, we need to be told that? Like, really? Um, so, here it is, ready? 
Never, 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 never use the D word in your marriage. Now, I know that means different things to different people. So let's define. Never use the word divorce. Never get in the middle of an argument and go, I'm, I'm out of here. Because the moment you do that, you've moved that marriage off of God's design for marriage. Does that make sense? Now all of a sudden, it's not a problem that we can work through. Now you've moved this marriage to a whole new foundation. And by the way, that foundation is unsteady and it's shakable, yes? And God has designed marriage to be unshake, be a part of his unshakable kingdom. And so we've got to get that word out of our vocabulary. I know the rest of the world is doing it. We're not like the rest of the world, right? We're called out to be different. Got to get that word out of your vocabulary. Because God's design for marriage is for it to be permanent. By the way, on number four, there's a great book out. I don't have this in your notes. You should write this down. My wife and I just read this book. Fantastic book. Probably one of the better books on marriage I've ever read. It's called You and Me Forever by Francis Chan. And he builds the idea that according to Jesus, Matthew chapter 22, that there is no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. Okay, so I don't know what that means. A lot of people are like, what does it mean? I don't know. Okay, I just know that's what Jesus said. And so he builds this great idea about how we have this lifetime to serve the Lord together. And uh, it's a fantastic book, You and Me Forever, okay? Number two, all right? Okay. Can't really see that clock back there. All right, so we'll keep going. All right, here we go. Number two. <clears throat> second part of the sermon, all right? So we got to honor our marriages the way God intended them to honor our marriage. The second thing is this. I want you to see this passage talks about keeping the marriage pure, so verse, Hebrews 13, verse 4, keep the marriage poor. Hebrews 13, 4, let marriages be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. Now, I'm sure you understand that the idea of marriage bed is a, is a metaphor, okay, for sex and sexuality, all right? And so, um, so we're going to talk a minute about sexual intimacy. And the author here gives two violations for not keeping the marriage bed pure. Okay, the, so we're going to work in reverse order because I think the first one's pretty obvious. The first one's adultery. All right, and that's, that's being with someone other than your spouse sexually, even though you've made commitments in the marriage, com, com, uh, the marriage covenant together. You've covenanted together under God, and you violated that. <clears throat> Uh, by having a sexual relationship with someone else. The Bible says that this is not honoring to our marriages, all right? It's destructive. I want to encourage you, okay? If, if your marriage is there, um, I have seen many, many marriages work through this, okay? And so I want to encourage you to continue to pray about and working, working it out. I, you're going to need some, probably some community help around you. Uh, I don't say this much from the pulpit because I'm afraid I'm going to get inundated, but if that's where you are, there are some pastors on staff that will help you with this, all right? Uh, I've seen marriages work through this and recover from this, okay? But this is a violation, being unfaithful to your spouse. In fact, I suspect that even non-believers understand this, right? Like, you made a commitment and you, you had sex outside of marriage. But the text is actually broader than just just adultery, okay? When it comes to keeping the marriage bed pure, the text says those who are sexually immoral, okay? 
Now, the word sexually immoral is the original Greek word is the word pornos. All right? So what do you hear there in pornos, right? You hear the word what? Pornography, right? It's kind of the root word of our English word pornography. And the idea is much broader of just sexual immorality. So I want want to park here for a few minutes and I'm going to wrap this sermon up, all right? So obviously, if we're going to keep our marriage bed pure, okay, we have to be attuned to pornography, and what I mean by that is keep it out of our lives, not, not attuned to it, all right? We've got to keep it out of our lives. Um, pornography is the scourge. Let me, let, me park, let, me, let me back up just a little bit. If there are two sins that I think that the American church is plagued with, it's sexual sin, sexual immorality, and greed. We're not generous with our finances. And so we're going to park on this one this morning, all right? And so the author of Hebrews here says that sexual immorality defiles or keeps the marriage bed from being pure. And he uses the word pornos, which is the root word of pornography, okay? Pornography in our culture is the scourge of this culture. My experience has been in dealing with people struggling is oftentimes the word is used, well, Pastor, I struggle with this. So whatever you, what I've learned is whatever a person is willing to tell me about it, it's probably five times worse than that. All right? And the problem is, is it's access. It's ease of access. But I'm going to challenge you, and, and so I'm... I'm going to preach mostly to the men here, although the statistical rise of pornography among women is staggering, okay? Staggering. If you're struggling slash addicted to pornography, it's really easier to get out of than you might imagine. It's just that most people aren't really willing to do what it takes. It takes confession of sin if you're married, you need to confess to your spouse, and you need to, if you're a guy, again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm dressing mostly men, but if you're a woman, find another woman. But if you're a guy, you need to find another man, and you need to be held accountable. And there is a ton of great software that can protect you from your own computer, your own tablet, and your own cell phone if you want it. Ton. So the issue is, do I really want to be free? Or do I want to continue to indulge my flesh in disobedience to the things of the Lord? And parents, please, please, please do not hand your child an electronic device And think your job is done. Don't hand them an electronic device and think, they'll figure it out. If you give your child, and I'm talking eight, nine years old, if if you're raising teenage boys, you better plan on becoming the IT expert in your house. Because you're raising the next generation, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're finding it. 
And you're, you're defiling their future marriage bed before they get there. Dads, I'm going back to the dad piece of the spiritual leaders. It is your responsibility to protect your boys. And I know you can't do it perfectly and completely, but in as much as it's up to you in your home, if you hand them an electronic device, man, there needs to be blockers on there and there's a ton of great stuff. And by the way, if you're like, I don't know what the stuff is out there, you email us this week, info at gocoastal.org. Our Pastor Joey has put together a great resource for our men's ministry. We'll make it available to anybody. Of all the things available to protect yourself from pornography. And protect your family. You got to protect the uh, the obvious, the phone, the computer, the tablet, but church, you got to protect anything that has access in your home. I'm talking smart TVs, smart DVD players, gaming systems, the list goes on. If you hand your kid an electronic device and you're not protecting your child, I'm telling you, it is your responsibility as parents to do that. Do you see I'm passionate about this? I was just talking to my son yesterday. I said, you know, 15-year-old, I said, "What do you do at school?" What do you do at school when the, the buddy pulls it out and says, hey, check this out. And he says, I, you know, I try to look away. I said, what do you do with the teasing that comes with it? What, you don't want to look at her? I'm trying to equip my kids because this is the world you live in, church. And parents, you have a responsibility to protect your children from pornography. Church, we have to honor the marriage bed premaritally. Okay, this is a big one. We have to honor the, the marriage bed pre-marriage. That means not sleeping around before you get married. We dishonor our future marriage bed if we're having sex before we make the marriage commitment. I think that this Hebrews 4... Uh, 13.4 has some context for before we get married. So singles, I'm talking to you, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to go and get a bachelor's degree and get a great job. Isn't that what it says? God's will is for you to find a great work, great employment. That's what we tell our kids. You know, when I, whenever I talk about God's will, I think people will immediately go to their job status. No, God's will is for you to be holy. So guess what? And then he gets very specific. Stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow brother in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. Do you, do you sense that God is serious about this? Yet the American church, we're like, we're really light on this. Never cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called you to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teachings, but is rejecting who, church? Who? God, right, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So if you're here today and you're a believer and you're, you're, you're wrapped up in, in sexual sin, you're taking the Spirit of God with you into that mess. 
One of the things when I was single and I read this passage, one of the ways that I applied it to myself is I realized, verse 6, that when I was out on a date with a girl that I was not sure because I was not married yet if that girl was going to be my wife or not. And so I began to think through, you know what, this girl that I'm out with, she actually may belong to another brother in Christ someday down the road. And so I better not violate this girl's future spouse while I'm out on the date. Does that make sense? And so I began to think through, and by the way, a whole other sermon for another day, why do you date? You date to find a spouse. So while I'm dating this person or going out on some dates, I realized, man, this, this girl may belong to a future brother in the Lord. I want to make sure I'm honoring him someday. So him and I could go out for dinner one day and he not be irritated at me because I violated his spouse. If you're sleeping around, you, you, you may be violating someone else's spouse. Sexual promiscuity is, is disobeying the Lord. And the author warns, very stern about this. The author warns, God will judge. God will judge. And there is a seriousness to sexual sin. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you an opinion, and I'm going to wrap the sermon up, okay? I'm going to give you an opinion. I think it's got some scriptural basis. I, there's a serious, and I'm not sure, sex touches humanity at deep levels. And this is a Sean Brown opinion, okay, so don't take it as scripture, but it, it, it almost touches us at, at body, soul, and spirit. And I, and I think that's why God reserves it and its pleasure um, for two people committed to one another in in. In marriage, and by the way, just to be clear, I know I'm heavy in on you this morning. The Bible's not prudish on sex. Okay, not prudish at all. Write this down. You can read. I bet you it'll be the one time you read a scripture after I encourage you to read it. First right? Corinthians seven verse five talks about frequency of sex in marriage. It's a lot. Okay, so there you go. Not prudish. All right, it's just in the proper confines. 1 Corinthians 6, and why I think sexual sin is so serious, it says, don't you realize, Paul says, that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which belongs to Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you know that a man joins to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united in one. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body, or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? See, it's, it's like body and spirit, and maybe soul, and it's, just, it's in a man who lives in you and was given to you by God. You, you don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This sin, is, it affects you deeply, and that's why the Scriptures say, here's how you overcome it, you run from it. Now, I want to finish with this, okay? God is also serious about his grace. So I know I've heavied on you. I know I have given you Mount Sinai today, right? Yeah, this is a sermon from two weeks ago. I've given you Mount Sinai. I've given you the law. I want to remind you of Mount Zion. If you're tangled in sin today, God is serious about his grace. God is serious about forgiveness. When we repent and we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, grace is freely granted. But I want to encourage you, if you're tangled in sexual sin this morning, that it is going to require repentance and fleeing and accountability. Repentance, turning from that sin, 
fleeing from it, make, doing, taking radical action to get it out of your life, and a, a Christian brother or a Christian sister, if you're a girl, that walks alongside of you to help you overcome this sin. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. I'm highly allergic to poison ivy. Highly allergic to it, all right? I remember when I was a kid, I'd have it and swelled my eyes shut, you know, ears sticking out. I was so swollen. I had it so I couldn't bend my finger. Anybody that allergic to it? I mean, like, and so because of that, I know poison ivy. Like, I can, I can see it a mile away. And I've had an unusual year in my little yard with poison ivy. It just seems like it's springing up everywhere this year. I, it hasn't happened in the past, but, you know, and so I'm, I'm either out there with my gloves pulling it, you know, or with my little spray you know, weed killer killing it, and, and I'm just trying to get the poison ivy out. And the thing about poison ivy is if you get it while it's little, it's no problem. Have you ever seen poison ivy choke out a tree? I mean, it can get like the vines get this big and go up and just choke out a tree. And then whenever I see that, and I know it's a wretched plant, I don't know why God put it on planet Earth, okay? Surely it must have a good use. I just don't know what it is, right? And so, you know, and, and I always think, man, if, we, if we'd have gotten that plant earlier, and that's similar, like, if you want a great marriage, you want to honor, like, you got to tend it, right? And so, you know, like, you bring two sinners under one house, there, there's good there challenges from time to time, okay? But that's okay, and you got to tend those challenges as quickly as you can. I want to give you, and so when I'm working with a couple, I'm about to give you my counseling, ready? And this way you're like, I don't even need to see him, he just gave it all to me. Okay, so here it is, ready? Four simple things to help your marriage. These are so simple. Pray together. Just pray together. When someone comes to me for marriage counseling, I said, when's the last time you prayed together? Nine times out of ten, it's been a long time. Okay? Grab each other's hands. Pray. It doesn't even have to be long. There's a spiritual intimacy about two people joining together in prayer, especially husband and wife. Number two. This is going to sound really weird, okay? I usually tell, I've added to this through the years. I used to tell couples, carve out 15 to 30 minutes in the evening to talk. But here's what I've added. Take a walk together. Take a walk together. You get a little physical exercise. You can talk. Leave all the technology behind and just spend some time together. All right? Number three, join a small group together. You want to know something I've learned through the years about counseling when someone's like, I've got to see the pastor. And they come to me, and I guess they think I'm a genius. I am as dumb as a rock, okay? So, uh, and the, one of the first questions I'll ask in that counseling session is, are you in a small group? 99% of the time, you want to know what the answer is? Nope. Join a small group together. There's things that you'll learn together in that small group in community of believers that will help your marriage. And in number four, spend some time in the Word of God together slash be in a book, a, a book together. Just always working on your marriage, always tending it, okay? It's like a beautiful garden. If you tend it, it will flourish. If you let it grow up with weeds, it will grow up with weeds, all right? I would encourage you to read You and Me Forever right now. I mean, write that one down. Francis Chan, it's a fantastic book. It's an easy read. It's a great start. It's four simple things. Why, why am I spending so much time on marriage? Because we're part of an unshakable kingdom where Christ is the focus. And I believe this, marriage is the cornerstone, not only of the culture, although I could build a whole case for that, it is the cornerstone for discipleship 
to making Christ famous here in the culture and to the next generation. Honor the marriage bed. Honor your marriage. Keep the marriage pure. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this challenge this morning. And it reminds me of my need for Christ every hour. Because to have a great marriage means I'm dying to myself. And I'm honoring Christ in my home. I pray for the marriage in this room right now that has been struggling. They came in here. They they barely got here together, God. I pray that they would take to heart the four simple encouragements I gave them right at the end, God. They would pray together. They'd carve out some time and walk together. They would join a small group together and grow spiritually. And that they would be in the Word or take up a, a book that works on their marriage together. God, I pray that you'd protect our The world is telling us, like, it doesn't matter if you're not happy, get out. No, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word encourages us that our marriages are a way to honor the Lord as part of the unshakable kingdom. I pray that we would change our thinking about marriage. I pray for the men in this room that they would be tender and loving protecting of their wife. I pray for the wives, God, that they would honor their men as to the Lord. God, I pray that you'd protect, if there's abuse, God, that that would be repented of. The Christian home has no place for abuse. We would die to ourselves and live for Christ. God, that the rest of the world would take note and something's going on with them. Something's different about their homes. And at that point, we would be able to point people to Christ. We're honoring Christ every hour in our homes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, church.